Chapter 1 Does anyone play any games? Real life, not computer games. Would you like a game? That was the text of a tweet I'd posted on the social networking website Twitter. For those of you unfamiliar with Twitter in particular, or social networking sites in general, or the online world in even generaler, you don't need to get bogged down in any details as to what that actually means. Just think of sending a tweet as the online equivalent of pinning a message on a notice board outside the village hall. You know every villager won't see it, it's not like putting a postcard through everyone's letterbox, but those who choose to wander by and look will see it, and that's what really counts. At the time, I had just shy of 76,000 people following me on Twitter. How many of them saw the tweet is unknowable. It depends on how many of them were online at that particular moment, and how many of them were likely to be paying me any heed. But even so, the sudden barrage of replies was overwhelming. The thing is, I like games. Physical and mental. I like to compete. I like the way they engage the brain. I like the fact that while I'm playing a game, I'm not thinking of other things, and yet I am thinking. I don't like it when my brain is at rest. Doesn't it have to be thinking of something? If I'm alone, I like a cryptic crossword, and if I'm in company, I like a game. It's probably worth pointing out that I'm a pretty competitive sort. I beat children. Only at games, you understand. I'll cheerfully beat my nephew at drafts, because I think it means more to him when he then beats me at Mario Kart on the Nintendo Wii, which he does, regularly. But, as competitive as I am, I'm also a very good loser. I've had to be. I spent my childhood as the permanent underdog, the run to the litter. I was always going to be slower and weaker than my two older brothers, John and Rich, but I was also slower and weaker than my twin, Nick. We're not identical. He's always been a more physical specimen. If you could see the series of scratchy pencil marks our parents had made on the kitchen wall to mark our growth over the years, you'd see that wherever there was a line marked with a D for David, there was always another line an inch or two above it marked N for Nicholas. Sometimes I'd stand on my tiptoes to try and nudge my mum's pencil a little higher. I'd concentrate on my back, hoping to think my spine a little longer. But I never caught up with him. Older brothers might occasionally feel protective of their younger siblings. Twins don't. Why would they? They compete. They exercise every advantage they have. In physical games, my twin won out, and on the rare occasion I somehow lucked out and came out on top, he'd punch me for daring to challenge the natural order of things. It's okay. We're friends now. You'd think this would have put me off games for life. It didn't. But while I liked them, I didn't seem to know many people who agreed with me. My wife Beth and I play games. Card games, mostly. Our first date, a Saturday morning stroll around an East London market, became a Saturday afternoon game of rummy and a bottle of red in a small cafe bar nearby, and that in turn turned into a Saturday evening game of rummy and another bottle of red at mine. She won. Although so did I. Obviously. We played rummy the day we got engaged, too. We were at Dunnit Head, the northernmost point of the British mainland, a windswept, rain-swept, desolate place with nothing much to do but plenty of sea to stare at. There is romance in desolation, but I wouldn't have chosen to take Beth to the ends of the earth, or the ends of the British earth at least, for that reason. Dunnit Head was the finishing line of my midlife crisis bike ride. A lot of men don the lycra and have one as they approach forty, and I was no different. And while Land's End to John O'Groats is the most popular route on these shores, once I discovered that they weren't actually the southernmost and northernmost points of Britain, I decided I'd do it properly. So I cycled from Lizard Point to Dunnet Head instead, and to really tick the boxes, I took in the easternmost and westernmost points too, Lowestoft Ness and Ardnamurchan respectively. 
I did the 1600 miles in 33 days, and if you think that's a bit slow, my excuse is that I'd been persuaded to do a two-hour stage show every night at theatres along the way too. For the first 32 days, I'd enlisted the help of various strangers, local cyclists who volunteered to show me the way, but knowing I'd feel a bit emotional on the final day, I'd eschewed that idea. Instead, I'd been joined by the one person I was willing to share that exhilaration with, Beth. I already knew she was the one, and the fact that she wanted to travel all that way to be there at the end of my journey only helped to cement my feelings. With the help of a friend, I had a bottle of champagne, a bowl of strawberries, and a bicycle bell hidden in the shadows of the Dunnit Head lighthouse, while the bicycle bell was the only thing I could find to act as a makeshift engagement ring. As I led Beth towards the hidden stash, the whole ride transformed itself into a Greek myth, a trial by which a man had proven his physical worth in order to win the hand of the one he loves. I was physically drained but mentally strong. I went down on bended knee, unsure that I'd be able to get up again.